Good morning, everybody. What a great day. What a great week we have ahead of just uh, being living in the great Northwest. I love it. Love seeing all of you here. I love that song, You're Welcome Here, Holy Spirit. Shouldn't that be the heart cry um, of our lives every single day? Just in our lives and our families and our relationships and our friendships. And of course, when we gather together in a church, we're, as the church, we're, we're wanting to say, Holy Spirit, without you, we're nothing. Without you, we shouldn't even be here. So, so excited for that. Well, we're in a series on Ephesians. And Ephesians, this actually came out of my Bible. Um, I've read it so many times, it just started to disintegrate. Because I'm just that spiritual, I want you to know. But it, it was hanging on by a thread, because I I, I've had this Bible for quite a long time and have, have read this particular letter quite often. And it just happened to kind of pop out this morning, and I, I thought, what a great illustration, because this is kind of what they had. Paul wrote a letter from a prison cell in Rome to a church that he was a part of helping get established in Ephesus, and he had them on his heart, and so he wrote them a letter. And how would you like it if your Bible was like this, you know, maybe a few extra pages, and and you got it. I mean, wouldn't you value it? Read it over, over and over again. That's what you had. It's what you knew of God. God has written a love letter in the scripture uh, to us. And we're looking at Ephesians because Ephesians is one of those charter documents of the church. It's one of, it's one of the greatest letters to the church to help each one of us, and when I say the church, I hope we all know that we're not talking about brick and mortar. We're talking about people, you and, and myself and others who name the name of Jesus Christ and live for him. That's the church. And so he's written this letter to us so that we would know who God is. And because of that knowledge, it would change the way we think about ourselves and when you change the way you think about yourself, it will then influence the way you live your life and where you're going in your life. And never before have we lived in a time where people do not know who they are. There's this huge identity crisis going on, especially amongst uh, the young, but truly I think it's with all of us, that who am I? And so we turn to the media to kind of inform us for who we are. We spend time in social media, on our phones and on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and we, we project who we want to be, right? And we learn about the highlights of everybody else's life, and all of that stuff informs our identity, but, and, and we like to project our best self, but truly, if we're honest, when, when, when we really reflect and think, most of us are very lonely, we're fractured, we're, we're, we're wondering where our life is really going, what lies out ahead for me. And so this book, this letter, will help you. It will help me to really understand who I am. And when we understand who we are in Christ, that will influence everything else. So I'm pretty excited about this particular letter. Last week, we started in the first couple of verses of Ephesians 1, and Scott kind of unpacked that for us because this is so important to know what has God done for us? Who is he and what has he done for us? Everything else flows out of that. Otherwise, 
What is such a, a, a tendency is for us to try and live a performance Christianity life where we're trying to continue to earn God's favor by being good people, earn God's love by serving our community, earn God's love by doing different things, praying or reading the Bible. And none of that earns God's love. He just loves you. And so it's important to know who is God and what has he done for me so that what I now do for him or what, how I love him back is not based on any kind of performance. It's not based on trying to earn anything. It's just based on who he is and what he's done. It makes all the difference in the world. Knowing who God is and what he has done for me will determine how I pray and whether I actually believe those prayers. We're talking about prayer today. I'm going to look at one of the great prayers of this particular letter in Ephesians. And when you see who you are, really who you are in God's eyes, it's going to dramatically change the way you pray, the way you see yourself, the way you go through suffering. It pretty much influences everything in your life. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And uh, if you have the ability to highlight on your phone or in your, in your Bible, to, I have not stopped. One of the keys of prayer is that you don't stop when it doesn't happen right away. Because a lot, of, a lot of times we think, if I just have this big, heartfelt prayer filled with faith, then God will do it in that moment. And if he doesn't, I'll give him another two or three chances. And then if he fails me then, then I'll have this low-grade disappointment and depression about God, and I'll, my, it'll affect and dilute the power of my prayers from that point forward. Too often we stop. We stop short. We don't, we don't persist in prayer. Uh, I, I think of the time um, where we were at the Lions Theater. I think we've been here three years now in this particular facility, but we were there, and we had been there almost nine years. And when we first moved in there, I remember us praying, because we knew it wasn't the permanent location, but maybe it could have been. And so we began to pray, Lord, give us this building. Move on whoever's heart. And so I started to pray over the owner and think maybe he would see the great things that, the, that we, as part of our neighborhood over there, that we were doing and that it, maybe God would move on his heart. And I think every, chair, every church probably prays for that about it, whatever rented facility they're in, right? Lord, give us the facility. And so I, I was praying that. Others were praying that. And, and then I went to the owner, and I talked to him about it, and I asked him really nicely and really politely and pointed out all the great things we were doing, and he said, no, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. And, and that's his prerogative, and that's his right, and so that didn't work out, but we kept praying, and we kept praying. And then I just prayed God would bring a big whale into the church, like one of you. I don't see any hands. But somebody that was really, you know, wealthy, and somebody... Somebody who had resource that could buy us a building. I didn't want to be in, you know, have a mortgage or any of that. And that didn't happen. We continued to pray and continued to pray. We got into the second term of our 
tenure at least, the, the second five-year section of it. And we began to pray for eviction because we knew that there was something about eviction that if we got evicted, that we would be entitled to be reimbursed all of our upstart costs of almost $400,000. And so that sounded good. And so we began to pray for that. Owner won't sell. Nobody's going to buy us a building. Maybe we can get evicted. And so we did. We got evicted, and God answered that prayer. And then we got, we got that money back, and it started us off in a great direction. And then, of course, the wonderful generosity of the hearts of the people here contributed, and we were able to get in over here. But it's, isn't it interesting that a lot of the things we pray for, they're good things, but the way we think God ought to answer them is not the way he intends to answer them. And so we give up praying. Don't give up. Don't give up praying. Don't give up praying for good things. Just because your prayers aren't answered today doesn't mean God won't answer them in the way he wants and in his own timing. Who are you praying for? Who are you praying that they come to know Jesus, his goodness? Don't stop praying. What are you praying for? What door needs to be opened in your life and you're praying for that? Keep praying. Be thankful and keep praying. What healing are you contending for that hasn't happened yet? Don't stop praying. What marriage needs God's intervention in? Don't stop praying. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep being thankful because God is at work even when you can't see it. So let's look at what Paul is praying for in verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. First thing Paul prays for is that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation for a purpose so that you know him better, to know him better. I want to know him better on most days. I mean, granted, some days I don't really think about God and don't want to know him better. How do you like that? But when I get out of the frenzy of busyness and I reflect and I'm in my better self, I do want to know him. I want to know him, and there's a passion in me, a desperation that rises up to know him. Because when I know him and when his presence is in my life, things just seem to go differently. God wants to give you his spirit. When you become a Christian and you've received Christ into your life and asked forgiveness for what you've done and accepted the the gift of the cross, that he paid the penalty on the cross, you become a new creation and the Holy Spirit is given to you as a deposit. Isn't that good news? That you have the Holy Spirit as a Christian in you. And that Spirit of God begins to transform you and change you and rearrange priorities in your life and the way you think and the way you act. But the cool thing is, is that the Holy Spirit is also there to grant us and give us wisdom and revelation. Wisdom is more than just you being a really smart person. I know some of us in the room think, hey man, I'm pretty smart, got a lot of street smart, I've seen a lot of life, I know what I'm doing. But wisdom is not just being smart. 
Wisdom is a gift that comes from God to you to know God better, to know yourself better, to know how to live this life that God has intended for you. Wisdom is a gift from God. I know people who have lived a long time, and they do have a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience, but they do not have a lot of wisdom. Wisdom, the kind that God's talking about, is a gift of the Holy Spirit to you. That means for me to grow up and mature in my faith, in my prayer life, for my prayers to be more robust and vibrant. I have to grow in my understanding of who God is, not just some things about Him. A lot of people know about God. God wants you to know Him. Some of you are here maybe this morning and go, I'm not sure I know God. I know some things about Him, or I know what Christians say about Him, but I don't know Him personally. And the good news is God wants you to. He wants to reveal himself to you so that you would know him. Not a religion to serve, but a God to love. And he invites you into that. He invites you to know him. As I pray and I seek after knowing more of God and who he is, one of the things that keeps coming to my mind, at least, is is that I would pray more around that and less around all the things I want in life. You know what I'm saying? We spend a lot of time praying for stuff we want. I want this, I want that, I need you to do this, change this person, get rid of my boss, do that, do this. We're constantly praying over stuff, and it's not that that's bad. Please don't hear that. Petitioning God is a good thing. It's part of prayer. But when it becomes all of our prayer experience, then it becomes off-center, off-kilter, and very, very shallow. God wants us to learn how to pray to know Him. I want to give you a challenge this week. Would you spend 30 minutes praying this week around not asking God for anything for anybody, not even yourself, other than to know Him better? That means you're going to have to turn your phone off. That means you're going to have to probably go out on a walk or go to a lake or go on a drive. And it means you're going to have to really zero in on that. Say, God, anything in the way I want removed. God, open up my heart to receive more of the Holy Spirit. Open me up, God. I want to know you more. Sometimes I don't feel desperate. But when I peel back the layers, I realize I am desperate. We are more desperate than we actually know. So will you take me up on that? Spend time in the Word. Pray over it. Ask God to breathe on it and, and, and to, so that wisdom and revelation comes off of these pages into your heart, not just into your head, into your heart to bring life transformation. Thank God for wisdom. When you pray and you look at your life, you see that underneath all the stuff, the tough stuff, that God is at work. Even when doors don't open right away, even when wisdom uh, and revelation of maybe the direction you need to take in your life is not clear yet, or that person that is still far from God and you keep praying and contending for them and, and it just seems like they're even further, Don't give up in prayer. Hold on 
to the heart of God that he's good, that he's powerful, that he wants to do things. He is doing things. He's at work. What are we going to ask God for in this upcoming week? We're going to ask him that we would know him better. We're going to ask him for the Holy Spirit. We said, Lord, you're welcome here. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Not just here in this environment, here. Lord, you're welcome in my life, and I need you in my life. In verse 17, Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. I hope, I hope, I hope that's your heart too. I believe it is to know him better. We just, we get, off, we, we get off sometimes, we get too busy, but God's pulling us back to himself. Let him pull you back to that place of his presence, that place where he can pour into you the Holy Spirit and wisdom. John chapter 14, John said this about the Holy Spirit. He said, but the counselor, I love that. Don't got to pay him nothing. Don't have to have insurance. The counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've said to you. And then John 16, he goes on to say, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. You see the term revelation there? It's lifting the lid off of something. And the Holy Spirit wants to lift the lid off of the Scripture for you. The Holy Spirit wants to lift the lid off of who God is for you. That we would know Him better. And when we know Him better, what happens? We know ourselves better. And when we know ourselves better and our identity gets rooted in who He is, our life begins to change. And that's what we really long for. Here in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to do a seminar on the Holy Spirit, uh, who, more about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. It'll be led by Dr. Jim Hayford Sr. He's, um, for those of you who may know Jack Hayford, he's his brother. He's from Seattle. He's a retired pastor, and uh, he will be conducting that here at the church. And so I want to invite you, if you at all want to learn more or uh, experience more, uh, more of the Spirit in that way, learn more about the gifts or the fullness of the Spirit, sign up for that on our website, uh, and you can do that out at the information counter. So Paul prays. He prays that God would give them the Spirit. Wisdom and revelation, which is a gift from God, would come to them that for the purpose of knowing God better. Now, let's look at verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart, I didn't know my heart had eyes, but evidently so, may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The second thing that Paul prays for is that God would enlighten the eyes of his heart so that he would know who he really is, so that you would know who you really are. He wants us to know who God is and what he's done for us, and what that means now for me. We spend a lot of time, don't we, trying to figure that out. What does God want you 
to see, see about yourself. Here's what Paul says in this prayer. The hope to which he's called you. The hope to which he has called you. God has a future for you that brings hope. Hope. Some of you are hoping and excited, expectant, looking into the future of your summer, going, we're taking that vacation. And that vacation can keep you going, can it? When it gets hard. Some of you are seniors, and you're like three weeks away, and you are counting down the time. And you graduate out of college. And that gives a lot of hope. Some of you have kids that will be here for the summer, in your house, running around, in and out, the entire summer. That doesn't do the same thing, probably. <laughs> Paul says, I want to know you more. And he says, the hope that lies before you. What's in your future? You have the promise of God's presence. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's at work in your life, making you into a new person. He's healing broken areas of your heart. He has a destiny for you. And he says, I, I, I'm promising I will finish what I started in you. He has promised us heaven, that we will live with him forever. There'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, where we will finally be set free once and for all from sin and sickness, and death, and we will become all that God intended us to be. Dying holds no fear over a Christian's life because death is the beginning of a whole new part of our eternal life. For example, a baby lives for nine months in its mother's womb, and at its birth, birth it's thrust into a brand new, different world. For us, living in this world is kind of like that nine months in the womb. It's all we know, so we cling to it. But beyond the womb of this life is the far greater experience of life with God in heaven. And just like that baby forgets the womb as soon as it enters this world, so we'll forget the womb of this world as soon as we enter the next. C.S. Lewis likened this life to a shadow and the next life to the substance, the reality. See, as a Christian, your life on this earth is as much hell as you're ever going to know. And for those that aren't saved and don't know Christ, life on this earth is the only little piece of heaven you will ever know. God wants every person to spend eternity with him. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross, to pay the penalty of our sin and everything that separated us from God. He invites you today into that relationship with him where you know that you know that you will spend eternity with him. The second thing for your heart to know, the eyes of your heart to be aware and looking and perceiving is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul says, I want you to know how deeply God values you. Look carefully at this phrase. God has a rich and a glorious inheritance in you. You're like, who? It said saints. You don't know my life. I'm no saint. God says you are. You're not a saint because of all the great things you've done. You're a saint because of what Jesus did on the cross. His blood is what 
makes us clean and right before God. It's not about you and all your greatness. It's about the greatness of the God we serve in sending Jesus. He says, there's a great inheritance in you. You are my treasure. You are valuable. You are the inheritance. If you only knew how much God treasures you, how much he loves you, how much he knows you, you're on his mind all the time. He cares for you deeply. God values you. And I don't know. I don't know why, because it seems like he's getting shafted, but somehow he loves us that much. The third thing he wants us to know, our future, our hope, he wants us to know our value and who we are in his eyes. And then he wants us to know something that's found in verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is like the working of his mighty strength. Incom nothing can compare to his power for us who believe. Paul says, I want you to know that God can do anything for you. God's power is greater than any need you have. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? See, God is for us. Let that sink in. He's for us. Power is amoral. It, it, it could be good, it could be bad, depending upon how it's used, right? You could take nuclear power and light up a city. You could take the nuclear power and blow up a city. Power in and of itself is amoral. God says he uses his power for you, because he loves you. God's not a vending machine, obviously, where we throw up a prayer and say, God, let your power rip. No, he's going to do what he knows to do because he's all-knowing as well as all-powerful. But just because God knows does not mean he does not invite us to pray. He does. Over and over and over through the scripture, he's saying, pray, pray, because prayer is relationship with God. Prayer is communication with God. Prayer is not just telling God. Prayer is listening to God. Prayer is something that draws us close to the Father's heart. Why? So that we can know him better and that wisdom and revelation can be poured into us. We need to expand our view of prayer beyond just getting things or getting things done to realizing that prayer is an invitation into relationship with God. Knowing that, knowing I have a future, knowing that God loves me, knowing that his power is incomparable and it's for good in my life, gives me great confidence to move into a future that is unknown. It gives me great confidence and great courage to pray and to take risks when I need to. And the greatest power we can ever see is, is that of Jesus rising from the dead. It says in verse 20, raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Through the resurrection, God conquered man's most fearsome enemy, death. He showed his mighty power in that, that it's greater than death when he rose Jesus from the grave. That's incomparable power. Would you agree? Death will be the final enemy placed under Jesus' feet. And until that happens, Jesus' resurrection reminds us that we don't need to fear death or any other enemy. 
because God's power is sufficient to defeat any enemy. Nothing is too hard for him. Let me finish this passage in verse 21 through 23. God exalted Jesus far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills everything in every way. Jesus is the head. He's the Lord. He's the leader. He's the cornerstone. He's our foundation. Jesus is powerful. Knowing him makes a difference. He's in charge. He's over the church. And knowing the hope, the riches, and the power dramatically changes our perspective and will influence the way we pray and live our lives. Frees you from fear, and it gives you courage. Your self-worth is established. You know who you are because God informs that. And his mighty power is always at work in you for good. And now, I want to invite us to pray in a closing prayer, this prayer. And I want to invite you to pray it in the course of the week. Open, you'll, in your own time at home, get your Bible, go to Ephesians 1, pray this over your life, personalize it over your own life. Let's pray this together. I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Lord, that is our prayer. Open the eyes of our heart. Give us, O God, a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know you better And that in knowing you better, God, it will change everything. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. I got a feeling it's going to be a great, great week in prayer. As we open those Bibles and we pray through Ephesians 1 and kind of apply that to our lives, I am really confident that uh, what we'll hear back is that God has been speaking to us, that God has been revealing himself to us, that God has been pouring out wisdom upon us, that that he will have been doing everything that passage talks about. And the challenge I kind of want to put to you is this. When that happens, when it is that your time in prayer with the Lord produces the very answers that God has promised, I want to encourage you, don't just enjoy that reality but make it a point to share that with somebody else, to tell someone, to give God glory, to say, hey, look, I was praying, and this is what God has done. This is what God is showing me. Because when God speaks to us,